Paul says in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God until salvation. It's the power of God until salvation. On January 8, 2010, a college football superstar quarterback by the name of Tim Tebow, he demonstrated what it means to live this verse out. And he really did it all season long as he would take the eye black that he wore uh, during football games and insert scripture there. And on January 8th, Tim Tebow wrote on his eye black, John 3.16, which is a reference to the best consummation of the gospel, and you all know it, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever will believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. This star quarterback wrote this on his eye black. And as a result, Google says that over 90 million people, or at least 90 million searches of John 3.16 happened over the next three days. 90 million searches. Google search engine, which is the most popular search engine, testified that, that Tim Tebow had a, a major effect on those who was watching the football game and, and so, so much of an effect that they, they ran to see what it was that he had wrote on his eyes. But you know, John 3.16, as, as well as every word in the book of John, was written with an agenda. It was written with a specific purpose. And John says in John chapter 20, verse 31, that these words have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. You may have life in his name. But the question that I want to pose today as we can continue this series from death to glory is how does one come to the point of being alive in Christ? How does one come to the point in believing? As those 90 million searches took place and as people read that verse, what is it? that gave possibly some of them life and that kept others from believing? Well, the answer is found in the 15 verses preceding John 3.16. And that is where we're going to turn our attention today to John chapter 3, verses 1 through 15. I ask you to stand in honor of the precious word of our Savior, Jesus Christ. The word of life. John chapter 3, verses 1 through 15. As we are going to look at today how God imparts life to us. How God imparts life to us. 
John chapter 3, verse 1, it starts, and he says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. And Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? And Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. Have, I have told you earthly things and you do not believe. How can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Today I want to tag this pericope with the topic, being born again. Being born again. Touch your neighbor and say, neighbor, neighbor. you must, must be born again. You must be born again. You may be seated in the name of our precious Lord and Savior. As we look at this pericope, we see that right away we meet a man by the name of Nicodemus. And the Bible starts off by saying that he was a Pharisee. And we see that in verse 1. And, and we've heard this taught in Sunday school, and we've heard this read plenty of times, and, and many of us know exactly what a Pharisee is. So I won't stay there long, but I, I will say that, that the word Pharisee is derived from a Hebrew word that means to separate. Or it means to be a separate one. Now, the Pharisees did not call themselves Pharisees uh, just because they wanted to isolate themselves from other people. No, they considered themselves and called them Pharisees in order to communicate to people that they had felt a special call to purity. 
They were Pharisees because they were saying, I have been called to live a, a, a pure life, a, a specifically a, a more pure life than the average Jew. Now, the Pharisees had a lot of nerve. They were very zealous men, but, but honestly, the, the Pharisees made it harder to be a God-fearer. They added to the Old Testament laws and rituals and, and, and legislations. They, they took the law of God and they expanded on it and made demands of people, number one, that they could not keep themselves. And the Bible tells us that Nicodemus is a Pharisee. He is one of the ones who is a, a part of this group who is making it hard for Israel, God's people, to serve God. Now, the Pharisees were Jesus' primary foes. When Jesus was ministering on earth, we, we see that he had some, some issues with these leaders. In fact, as we read Matthew chapter 23, we see that, that Jesus gives them some, some very condemning words because of their hyper-concentration on external religion rather than inward renewal. Jesus is constantly bashing them, constantly telling them that, that they need to understand that God is not concerned as much with an outer appearance as he is with an inward appearance. In fact, the Pharisees is what we call hypocrites. A hypocrite is an actor. And nobody likes a hypocrite. In fact, many people say that they don't come to Sunday morning worship at a local church because there are hypocrites in the church. A hypocrite is an, is an actor, a person who puts on a, a front, who puts on a, on a stage. And, and the wonderful thing about Jesus is that Jesus can see past the makeup. Jesus could see past the hypocrisy. Jesus once told him, he said, you, you beautify the outside while the inside is rotten. You, you are like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but inside you are full of, of dry man bones. As Nicodemus stood before Jesus as a Pharisee, we must know that whatever Nicodemus brought to Jesus, that Jesus could see through it. That's what Revelation chapter 19 says about our Lord. It says that his eyes are like a flaming fire. And the psalmist records, he, he goes on to, to even add to that in Psalm in chapter 9, verse 11. He says, the Lord is in his holy temple. His eyes see and his eyelids test the children of man. And that brings me great comfort. Because that lets me know that I don't have to worry about who's real and who's not. 
Jesus told the disciples in a parable, he says, don't try to separate the true Christians from the fake Christians. He says, no, my father has ordained some angels for the last day who will do that. And don't you know that you don't have to get bent out of shape about what sister so-and-so is not doing uh, uh, during the week or is doing during the week? Don't you know that the Lord knows her heart? And even though she may come in this church acting like she's holier than now, God knows what's really behind the makeup. Uh, many of us, we got that cover girl syndrome. You know what the cover girl syndrome is? We got that makeup on and everybody think that we got it going on. We, we wave our hand in church like we don't got no problems and we, we tell people that we ought to not worry, but we know as soon as we get out the door that all we're going to do is worry. We got the, the cover girl syndrome. Touch somebody and say, neighbor, it's time to take the makeup off. It's time to be real. God's not seeking a Pharisee. He's not looking for someone who is phony or someone who can put on a show. He's looking for someone who's serious about being serious. Somebody who's want to be pure for the sake of being pure and not for the sake of being seen by man, but for the sake of being seen by God. And I don't care. I don't care how many speaking in tongue experiences you have. That's not what saves you. Walking in the church talking about, I should have bought a Honda. <laughs> Trying to make somebody else believe that you're more saved than you really are. Jesus can see behind all the, I should have bought a Hondas. Because all you're saying is, I should have bought a Honda. Jesus is looking for some real folk, some, some, some folk that, that want to serve God because they love him, some people who want, who's going to be real with God and say, this is who I am, help me please. Nicodemus was a leader of the Pharisees, the Bible says. And, and, and what's interesting is, is that not only was he just a, a ruler of the Jews, but not only was he just a, a Pharisee, but, but he was a, a leader of them. In verse 1, it says he was a ruler of the Jews, but as we matriculate down and we look at verse 10, we see that Jesus said to Nicodemus, are you the teacher of Israel? Are you the teacher of Israel? The definite article, the, right there, suggests that he was not just a teacher, but he was the teacher. Nicodemus was one of the Pharisees that other people came to when they had questions about the law. Nicodemus was one of the men that other people came to when they were having some personal struggles in their marriage. Nicodemus was one of the people, teachers that people came to when they were having problems in their single walk with God. Nicodemus was one of the people that, that people came to when they needed prayer about their, their land and how they couldn't afford their mortgage. And yet we see here, the Bible says that Nicodemus, the, the leader of the Jews, comes to Jesus. He comes to Jesus. And we all need to come to Jesus. But the Bible says that he came by night. 
And we know that this has been talked about quite often about why Nicodemus came by night. But the text really doesn't tell us a definite answer of why he came by night. But I think that it's safe to conclude that he came by night because he didn't want to be seen by men. As a Pharisee and the leader of the Jews to go to Jesus, the one whom they are trying to catch up in order that they can murder or take off the scene, it would have been bad for him going to ask for advice. I think it's safe to say that he came by night. As we look through the book of John, whenever John mentions the night, he mentions it in a menacing way or a negative tone. John chapter 9 verse 4 says, this is Jesus saying, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. For night is coming when no one can work. Night is coming when no one can work. John chapter 11, verse 10, Jesus says the same thing. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. And then John chapter 13, verse 30, the author gives a, another menacing tone, another negative tone about the night when he talks of Judas and he says, so after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out and it was night. So when Jesus comes, so when Nicodemus comes to, to Jesus, Nicodemus doesn't come to Jesus humble as a child. He doesn't come to, to Jesus because he just wants to be in his presence and he's just a, a Jesus freak. But rather he comes to Jesus like a, a marijuana uh, 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 head, amen, a weed head, goes to a supplier in the middle of the night. He came to him at night because he had something to hide. Y'all know what they say about night. Huh? He came to Jesus in secret because he did not want to be exposed. And I just find that interesting because here is a man who has given his life to purity who has set himself apart from others by calling himself a Pharisee. And yet, he can't see that Jesus is the only hope for him to be pure. Yet, he goes to Jesus as if Jesus is one who is contaminated. fact is, is that as we read the book of John, we'll understand that that just wasn't going on with Nicodemus, but that was going on with a lot of people. I think it's interesting that in John chapter 12, verse 42 through 43, we read these words that many, even of the authorities, believed in him 
But for the fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. This is a theme in the book of John as he is showing people that there are people, and it's interesting that he uses this word in John chapter 12. He says there are people who are believing in Jesus. They're believing in Jesus, but yet they're not coming forth to say that they believe in him because they fear people more then they fear God. And in fact, when we look at John chapter 3, that's exactly what's going on in this text. Even before chapter 3, if we look at verses 23 through 25, we see John giving us this theme. He's giving us this theme to think about as, as he's getting ready to tell us about Nick at night. And he says, now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, speaking of Jesus, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear himself about man, for he himself knew what was in man. The Bible says that many people were believing in Jesus. Many people were following Jesus because they saw the signs and the, the miraculous works that, they, that he was doing. And that's just like today, many people say that they believe in Jesus. Many people are confessing Christians. But the Bible tells us that in this type of belief, that's not enough. That Jesus was not, he was not pleased with this type of belief. The Bible says that, that even though many believed in him because of the signs, which means that they were believing in him because they recognized that he could do something for them, the Bible says that, that Jesus, with people like this, he did not entrust himself to them. He did not give himself to them because they weren't coming to him seeking his face, but they came to him seeking his hand. Nicodemus comes to Jesus. And Jesus, nonetheless, even knowing the heart of Nicodemus, even knowing that he was not coming to him, in the right way, he still conversed with him. And look how Nicodemus came to him. He came to him and he starts off by saying, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher from God. For no one can do these things that you do unless God is with them. And it appears that Nicodemus is, is flattering Jesus. It appears that he is paying Jesus a compliment. But we must see that this is not a compliment because Jesus is much more than a rabbi. Jesus is much more than a teacher. Nicodemus was, was used to walking out of his house daily and hearing the words rabbi, rabbi, teacher, teacher. So Nicodemus is coming to Jesus as an equal. But look how Jesus responds to him. 
Jesus answered him and said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, Nicodemus has not yet asked the question. He simply paid a compliment or flattery. <laughs> but Jesus looks past that. He's not paying attention to what Nicodemus has just said. Jesus looked past the charade. He looks past the makeup. He looks past the phoniness. He looks past the fact that Nicodemus is coming at night, and he gets to the core issue. And the core issue in Nicodemus' heart is this. The core issue is how, how are you teaching people? How are you teaching them? That, or what are you teaching them about salvation? What are you teaching them about your kingdom? He looks past what Nicodemus is saying, and he says, Listen, Nicodemus, you cannot come into the kingdom of God unless you are born again. Now, why is that a big deal? It's a huge deal to Nicodemus because as a Pharisee, the number one topic that Pharisees discussed was the kingdom of God. Pharisees wanted to know and always were debating and talking about the kingdom of God. They were talking about this time when uh, the, the ruler of Israel, the Messiah of Israel, will come and set up his reign here on earth. So Nicodemus is wondering, teacher, rabbi, what do you have to say? about the kingdom of God. But before getting to that, he asks Jesus, he, he flatters Jesus, and Jesus is saying, I know what you really want, Nicodemus, and, and the only way that you're going to get into the kingdom of God is if you are born again. Now, we must understand how Nicodemus must have felt right here because Nicodemus already has a system of belief set about what it means to be born again. He's a Pharisee. He knows the law. He, he in fact, even makes the law harder to keep in order, originally in order to, to protect the law. He, 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 he has his preconceived notions and what he thought would get him into heaven or the kingdom of God no longer, according to Jesus, is valid. He thought that keeping the law and being uh, set aside in a special way would help him get into heaven. He thought that he would get into heaven by his works. He thought that if one was going to see God, it was just based upon the law. But Jesus turns his world upside down and, and he introduces something new to him. He says, no, you must be born again. Have you ever? thought that you possessed something only to find out that you did not possess it? Huh? Have you ever thought that you had something coming your way only to find out that it's no longer coming your way? I have. I remember one year as the semester was starting in school, I had made up my mind that I was going to get straight A's. I was a type of student before that point who knew what his GPA, what he, what I, I knew what I wanted my GPA to be. So I would sit down and decide which classes I was going to get an A in, which classes I was going to get a B in, 
and I will pick a class or two to, a class to get a C in, as long as it didn't fall under this number. And I said, well, this year I'm no longer going to do that. I'm going to be a good student, and I'm going to get straight A's. So I worked hard all semester, and I said, you know, I'm going to get straight A's. And, I, and, and as the semester was closing, I remember sitting down and tallying up my grades, and I, I sat back and I said, yes, straight A's is coming my way. In fact, I was so sure of it till when the grades came out, the first week I didn't even look at my grades because I knew that I had straight A's coming my way. I remember logging on to the computer just to verify and celebrate. And I looked at a class, and I had a B plus. Missed an A by a couple points. And I just remember my, my stomach sinking because I, I thought that finally I was going to have this on my report card. And, and then looking at that screen and saying, nope, it's not coming to you. Many of us know what it means and, and how it feels to be disappointed. To know that something that we thought that was coming to us is, is no longer coming to us. That, that car that we thought that we were going to be able to afford and we, we go to the bank and they say, no, we're not going to give you that loan or, or that house or, or whatever it is. We know how that, that feels and, and that is how Nicodemus feels but worse because he's not talking about, this is not an issue about grades. This is not an issue about a house or a home. This is not an issue about whether or not someone's going to say yes when you ask them to marry you. No, this is an issue about eternal life. This is an issue about spending time with the Messiah. When his kingdom rule comes and he finds out that he will not be there because of some random idea that this rabbi has if this rabbi is right so look how Nicodemus responds and Nicodemus says to him how can a man be born when he is old how can a man be born when he is old can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born some people think Nicodemus was being sarcastic I don't I think that he sees not serious, sees. I think that he understands what is at stake. And he's trying to figure it out. How in the world can a man be born when he's old? How can he enter into his womb another time? And Jesus tells him, he says, truly, truly, I say unto you, unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. He cannot enter into the kingdom of God. What does it mean to be born of water and spirit? Turn with me to Ezekiel chapter 36. Let's look at verses 22 through 27. We see here the prophet Ezekiel talking to Israel, God's chosen people who have proven from day one that they are not able to keep up with the law of God. Let's listen to the prophet's words. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 22, and I'm going to read it to save some time. And he says these words, Therefore, say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, It is not 
for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. So Ezekiel is telling Israel that God is about to act. God is about to do something, and, and he goes and tells them why he's about to do it. He says, Israel, God is about to do something, not for your sake. Isn't that something? God is about to work in Israel's life, not for their sake. But why is God is about to work? He says, but for the sake of my name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you come. God cares about his name among the nations. It's what he cares about most. And in our society, we think that, that God cares about just whatever's going on in our life more than anything. And I'm, I'm going to tell you, God does care about whatever's going on in your life, but he cares about his namesake even the more. He says, and I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations in which you have profaned among them, and the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God. When through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statues and be careful to obey my rules. It's interesting because Israel, God gives Ezekiel a word to tell to Israel and it's this, it's I will save you. I will deliver you. And for the Jews, this is great news. Because they know that they have been trying their hardest to keep the law at times, and yet they still fail. And some of them aren't trying, but God tells them, as a people, I will do something in you that will cause you to love me, that will cause you to draw to me, that will cause you to serve me, that will cause you to worship me. Let's just know that being born again here, Ezekiel says that he will wash us, he will cleanse us. And Jesus in John chapter 3 is saying the same thing. He says, lest one is born of water and the Spirit. Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, being born of water is mostly referring to a, a spiritual cleansing from sin. God is saying, I will cleanse you from the pollution of sin in the heart by giving you a new heart through my spirit. When one comes to be born again, when one comes to Christ, it is because God has done something in them. 
it is because God has chosen to wash them, to, to cleanse them like David said in Psalm 51 and 9. Wash me with hyssop and make me whiter than snow. If we are sitting in this church today as a believer of Christ, it is not as a result as the first two sermons of this series pointed out of our goodness or our merit, but it is the result of God doing something in our heart, of God sprinkling us and of God washing us and, and of God taking an interest in us and, and giving us salvation. You must be born again. You must be washed with the water of the word. This is the act of God in which he imparts new spiritual life to us. And it is what theologians and, and, and some people call the doctrine of regeneration, the fact that God gives us life. God gives us life. Just like God gives us life when we are born the first time, God must give us life to be born the second time. You didn't choose when you were going to be born. You weren't just hanging out with your father one day and just decided to go through the, the miracle of birth and choose what day you were going to. No, no, that's not how it happened. In fact, your parents did not choose when you were going to be born. Huh? But God is the one who gives physical life as well as spiritual life. We see here in this text that salvation is a gift from God. And it is the most precious gift that we could ever receive. It is the gift that, that keeps on giving. So, so how then is one born again? It, Jesus goes on to tell Nicodemus that, that how one comes into being born again is really the work of God. It's not the work of man at all. We cannot control it. Look at your text. And look at verse 8. Jesus tells Nicodemus that the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. You can just imagine Nicodemus trying to ponder this concept, trying to get this concept that, that one must be born of water and spirit, and Jesus tells them that, that, that you can't figure it out. Just as you really can't figure out the way the wind goes and the way the wind moves, you can't figure out whom God chooses to impart life to. But listen to what he says. He says, even though you can't figure it out, you know when he has done it. Just as you can feel the wind, just as you know when the wind is blowing, you know when God has given someone a new spirit. You know when God has imparted to someone new life. And how does one know when God has imparted new life? How does one know when the wind of God's spirit has been upon them? Well, in 1 John chapter 3, verse 9, John tells us a couple ways in which we know that new life has been given to us. 1 John chapter 3, verse 9, he says this, No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed, it abides in him. 
and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. When a person has been born of God, there is a difference about them. When a person has been born of God, you know that something has happened. When a person has been born from above, you can just tell. Have you, have you ever had anybody come up to you and say that there's something different about you? There's a, a glow about you, the way you carry yourself, the way you act around me. I can, I can see that, that something's different about you, and you just smile inwardly and say, it's not me, it's the, the God in me. I have been born again. God has given me the gift of life. And no one who is born again, no one who has been given life from Jesus goes on sinning. He says, no one who has been given life in Jesus goes on sin. Now, it doesn't mean that we don't sin. No, 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 no. That's not what John is talking about. Amen. He's not talking about some, some Keswick view of sanctification or some, some view that says once we become saved, we, we will reach a level of perfection. No, no, no. You've got it all wrong. Paul, Paul who wrote 48% of the New Testament, he didn't have that perspective. He said, he said even when I want to do right, evil is, is ever beside me. He said, no, no, no. I'm not going to get perfect on this side of heaven, but, but I will. Because of the seed that is in me, I will no longer love my sin. A Christian, when they have, once we have been born again, we, we may for a little while fiddle and tilling around with things, but after a while, we no longer enjoy it. We no longer have peace in it, I should say. The reason why we do things is because we enjoy it. We sin because sin is fun. Am I right about it? You would not sin if sin wasn't fun. We would not sin if sin did not make us, for the moment, feel better. Huh? But when one is born again, there's a seed on the inside of them. And, and as they feel tempted to sin, and as we indulge in the, in the flesh and, 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 and go against the will of God and the beauty of God and the holiness of God, there is the Holy Spirit on the inside of us saying, you know that this is not right. You know you shouldn't be in this room while this blunt is being rolled up. You know that that Coke 45 don't have your name on it. It has somebody else's name on it. You know that God has delivered you from the adulterous woman and you shouldn't be talking to her right now. You know that your wife would not like this. You know that this offends a holy and a righteous God. And a believer is wrestling with that thing and, and fighting with that thing, even though their flesh is saying yes, the spirit is saying no, there's a, a war going on. But, but when you've been born again, God can give you the victory over that sin. John said a believer can no longer go on sinning so you can no longer do it with peace if you can go on sinning and you have peace in it either one or two things either one you're not born of God or two you are grieving the Holy Spirit have you ever seen something or someone who was grieved huh husbands when your wife is grieved what is she doing She's quiet. She's not saying nothing. 
She's to herself. Wives, when, when your husband is grieved about something, he's quiet. And when we grieve the Holy Spirit, it's when we intentionally disobey the gift, the seed that God has given us. And we say, I know what the word says. I know what I'm supposed to do, but I am going to continue to suppress the truth. And when we as believers suppress the truth long enough, the Holy Spirit says, okay, I'm quiet. One time I was traveling. That's when I first moved to Louisville and I was traveling to go to a conference and I had my GPS system on and it was in the middle of nowhere. Didn't go to MapQuest to, to get a backup plan just in case the GPS went out on me. But, and I'm just traveling in the middle of nowhere. In the middle of nowhere. And following my GPS and all of a sudden it just died on me. It just lost signal and it's just circling. I don't know which way to go, right or left. It's just quiet. You know the GPS, it tells you turn right turn left, turn right, turn left, you have now reached your destination. It just got indignant with me. It said, I'm not telling you nothing. And I'm in the middle of nowhere. Phone ain't getting no signal. I said, where in the world am I at? So I tried to find my own way. And I'm driving, all of a sudden I end up in a driveway of a home in the middle of some woods. And a gentleman walked out, this is a true story, out of his farm and looked at me and spit on the ground. I said, I'm in trouble. I reversed so quick, right, left, right, left. And then about five minutes later, the GPS came back on and said, calculating. I said, thank you, Lord. When we as believers, as born of God, people suppress the seed that has been given to us by God when he regenerates our hearts. If we continue to go on sinning as if Christ has not sacrificed and, and died upon the cross for our sins and we take it in, in vain, that seed comes buried. And when we think we are following God, in actuality, we are following ourselves. And we end up somewhere where we're not supposed to be. But praise God for his grace. Praise God for his love. Praise God for his mercy. That God will come back and snatch us back and allow something to happen back and say calculating not only is that do we not love our sin but but the bible says people who have been born again they love other people john said this in first john he says beloved let us love one another for god for love is from god and whoever loves has been born of god and knows god anyone who does not love does not know god 
because God is love. We know when the spirit of God has regenerated a person, not only because they hate their sin, but because they love their brothers. How can we say that we love God whom we do not see and we cannot love our brothers whom we see daily? If one has received the gift of salvation, one can't help but to love because they understand and realize that God is his love and that he demonstrated his love and that they would not be where they are if he had not loved. And I, I don't understand how, how a Christian can cannot love somebody. Huh? Ever meet Christians and somebody telling you about another Christian and they say, oh, that's just flow. That's just how she go. That's just flow. You'll get used to it. She got an attitude problem. That's, that's just flow. Huh? A Christian with an attitude problem? It's an oxymoron. A Christian is supposed to exude love and, and be love. And Jesus tells John, he says, listen, just as the wind goes, and you cannot tell which way it comes or, or which way it goes, but you know that it's there. So is the Spirit of God when he regenerates the heart. You, you can see and feel that, that something happens as you look into that person. You, you sense that they are humbled by their sin and they, they hate their sin and they're learning to hate their sin more by more. And you can see that they are learning to love one another. But in John chapter 1, he goes on to say, not only... Do they hate their sin? Not only do they love one another, but they are not afraid of Satan. He says, we know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who is born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. A person who has been regenerated, a person who has received new life is a person who is not afraid of saying because we know that we are protected by God. If God is for me, who can be against me? But sadly so, we see that Nicodemus doesn't understand these things of God. Listen, look how Nicodemus responds, verse 5 through 7. Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Let's go down to 11 and 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony for I have told you earthly things and you do not believe how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things 13 no one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven the son of man we have a problem in this text as, as Jesus, the Son of God, he who is pure and without sin, who is eternal, he is breaking this down to Nicodemus, and yet Nicodemus does not understand. He doesn't understand. The, the teacher of Israel does not understand. 
And if we stop and be honest about it, there was a whole, there was a long period of time in our life for some of us where we just did not understand. Where our mother and our grandmother is trying to tell us about Jesus. They're trying to tell us about how we need to be in the fellowship of believers. They're trying to tell us about how spiritual things work. But for years and years and years, we just were dull to their warnings. And some of us, we have kids right now who we are constantly trying to tell about Jesus. We are constantly trying to plead with. And we're looking at them and saying, what in the world is going on. And Jesus' response to Nicodemus lets us know that it's not our fault that someone else is not in Christ. It's not necessarily our fault that our children have not submitted to Christ. It's not our fault that our husbands are still necessarily rejecting Christ. See, salvation is a gift from God that is the work of God, and it is not the work of man. Jesus told Nicodemus, he told him, he said, the reason why you don't understand is because you are born of the flesh and that which is of the flesh cannot understand spiritual things Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 12 through 14 now we have received not the spirit of the world but the spirit who is from God that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Listen to what he says. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. They don't accept it. For they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Jesus is telling Nicodemus, you, the teacher of Israel, do not understand this because you are still in the natural. You are still focused on the, the natural, focused on the, the flesh. The only way that you will be able to understand the, the things of God, the deep things of God, is if you have the Spirit of God. For it is the Spirit of God that searches the mind of God. When someone doesn't understand the gospel, when someone is looking at you and you feel like you have sweated and told and, and told them the truth about Jesus and they look at you as cold and as dead as they can look at you don't take it personal don't get upset don't go home and, and be mad at yourself no go home and pray for them beg God plead with God and say God have mercy on them save them transfer them from the spirit of darkness into the the spirit of light for that is their only hope. Just as I would not understand the words of an astrophysics as he, as he is going through the, the different things of, of astronomy and things. I, I, I will look at him with a blank statement and say, uh-huh, because we're not of the same. My mind is not where his mind is. Well, so it is when, when a Christian tries to explain some deep things with God, about God with a non-believer. I ran into a Jehovah's Witness yesterday who was adamant in, in making me denounce Christianity and, and come over to the kingdom. I said, listen, I'm a pastor. He says, that doesn't matter. You need to know the truth. I said, wow. 
And as we began to converse about the things of God, he, he brought up the Trinity and said that it's a, it doesn't make sense and, and it's not true. And I began to talk to him and, and his eyes was cold and his heart was cold and I walked away upset and I just prayed for him. I said, Lord, you're the only one who can open his eyes. Nicodemus doesn't understand it. This tells us that there is only one hope. That hope is that God would intervene and have mercy. But that hope rests upon one people. And that is those who have been born in Christ. As we share the message of the gospel that will meet the spirit that God has put in them. And when the word meets the spirit and the heart of a person whom God is saving, Something ignites, salvation ignites, a, a seed begins to, to grow. And the only hope that our lost loved ones and friends have is in the gospel of Jesus Christ and is in the hand of God who is merciful. And we must pray for the lost we must pray for the Nicodemuses of our world. We must pray for those who are still born of the flesh and who have not yet been born of the spirit. And we must not only pray, we must preach to them. We must tell them for how can they call upon the name of the Lord in whom they have not heard. And how can they hear unless the preacher preach. And how can he preach unless he be sent. God has a plan for the Nicodemuses of the world. And that plan is that we will pray. That plan is that we will preach. And we don't have to know everything. But my God, we have to know that God is real and that Jesus is Lord. interesting as we look at Nicodemus in chapter 3 he looks a lot different than he does in chapter 19 chapter 19 verse 38 through 40 we read these words the Bible says after these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission, so he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. 
Now, in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a tomb in which no one had yet been laid. John chapter 3, we see Nicodemus. And Nicodemus doesn't love Jesus. Nicodemus sees him as a rabbi and as a teacher, but he has not surrendered to Jesus. He does not know Jesus. And sometime between chapter 3 and chapter 19, Nicodemus is transferred. He's transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. He is transformed from a, a person who is afraid to be seen with Jesus to a person who has more courage than, than those who walked with Jesus daily in front of the guards, in front of the ones who yelled, stone him, stone him. In front of the cross sat a Pharisee who wanted to hold the body of the man who preached good news to him. And that's that man named Jesus who is fully God as well was taken down from the cross. He looked at his body with a, 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 a precious perspective and he said, give me the body. And as they took the body and as he carried 75 pounds worth of preservatives, he carried it with a different perspective. He didn't care that it was the middle of the day. He didn't care that the leaders of the Sanhedrin would hear about it. He didn't care that people would taunt him and talk about him for it. All he cared about was the fact that this man took the time to talk to me when I was lost. And he took the time to hear my heart and minister to me. All he cared about was the fact that this man prayed on my behalf. I heard him, says Nicodemus, when he was on the cross. I heard him when he was up there in the heat of the day. And I heard some words, and it said, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I heard him pray for me because I was just as guilty as anybody in that crowd. Because I was the one, along with the rest of the Pharisees, who constantly tried to catch him in lies and mischief. And a transformed Nicodemus is carrying weight. Even though people will mock him. Even though people will talk about him. Even though people will probably desert him. Even though this could probably cost him his seat among the Pharisees in the synagogue. He's carrying that weight. And my God, God has called me and you to carry that weight. No, we're not carrying myrrh. No, we're not carrying aloe. But we are carrying our cross daily. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself. Nicodemus had to deny himself. He had to look and say, it's not about me. It's about God. Let him pick up his cross and let him follow me. Let him follow me. I wonder how Nicodemus felt. 
when he heard that the tomb that him and, and the soldiers closed and made sure that it was closed, that the tomb was open. I wonder how he felt as he heard about Jesus appearing to, to the women and telling them that he has risen. I, I wonder how he felt as he heard stories about him walking on the, the road with two disciples and, and opening up the scriptures. I, I wonder if he was in that 500 that Jesus appeared to. I wonder if he served him to death. And I wonder, I wonder if that will be you and my testimony. Nicodemus, like Tim Tebow, was born from above. And that new birth caused him to tell the world, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whosoever believe in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Lord, we pray that you would just have mercy upon our hearts. We pray, Father God, that you would allow the seed that you have put in our hearts through your spirit, which ignited with the word when it was preached, Lord, that that seed would continue to grow, that we would not take for granted the fact that you gave us life, that you made us new, that you regenerated us, that we would take this message, Father God, and that we would pray for those who are unregenerate, that we would pray for those who are lost, that we would not give up on them, but that we would know that you can heal them, that you can deliver them, that no matter how bad they are, no matter how late it is in their life, that you can still look to the right and tell them, this day you shall lift up your eyes and be in paradise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.